listening to The Agenda, exclusively on The Pod Station. To the uh, the latest installment of the Agenda podcast for uh, for West Wirral, um, we we try and cover news and politics um, specific to the area. But of course, in this very um, serious situation that we face nationally, we also have to um, have to reflect the, the national environment and what more specifically what is going on locally. And with that effect, we've got Ivan Camford, Dr. Ivan Camford, back again from the last podcast. Uh, Ivan's GP at the Headlands practice in Woodchurch and he's brought along Dr. Alan Johnston from the West Wirral Group practice a- aka the Warrens I think most people know that as. So we're here obviously to talk about COVID-19 to get the latest updates, the latest advice um, nationally, globally and in, in West Wirral. So I suppose Ivan you were here last time, do you want to pick up where, you, where, you left, where we left off 10 days ago? <laughs> Yes, thank you, Andrew. Um, so things have moved on really fast, haven't they? Yeah. At, uh, at, at, at speed of knots, if I may say so. Um, so last time we met, uh, we were talking about um, just deaths over over about ten in number across the UK, and we were talking about cases uh, just over a hundred and ten. Uh, so as I understand it now, uh, the total number of cases across the UK is three thousand two hundred sixty-nine with 643 new cases that have been diagnosed and unfortunately 144 deaths. So there's been an astronomical increase since the last time we spoke um, and that's that's serious and I think that is uh, um, a testament of how uh, virulent this virus is and how important it is to take precautions and, and uh, ensure that we are all safe as a community, as a nation uh, and personally, each and every one of us. Are those numbers what you expected to be seeing, or are they better, worse? I mean, well, we knew it was it's that kind of virus that it was going to produce significant numbers. That's why the um, the concern is there in the first place. But are they in line? So uh, we believe that we're about three to four weeks behind Italy, um, and therefore haven't reached the base of the peak. So the peak is where we have the maximum number of cases. We think, we think that we're at least four weeks behind them. Um, and so the peak is expected somewhere around the middle of April. And so the other thing that we need to be really careful of is that this is not going to be uh, over in the next week or two or, or three even. And there's a lot of talk around whether it's going to last for 24 weeks and perhaps beyond. So we've heard from the Prime Minister about the schools being shut from today. We heard something about uh, restaurants and bars and pubs being shut. Uh, so there, there's a huge issue around uh, how quickly this virus can spread and multiply and uh, and, and infect people. Okay, so just from, from my... And the problem with this is, you know, everybody is on the verge of becoming a, a 
an, an expert in, in this. We all want to learn so much. So what are the latest symptoms we need to look after? Because the, the data is evolving on that as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So the symptoms uh, in general are fever, muscle ache, headaches, uh, runny noses, sore throats, shortness of breath, tightness of chest, cough, sputum, and perhaps bringing up some blood as well in your sputum, along with nausea and vomiting and diarrhea. So these are new symptoms that we recognize that are part of the coronavirus syndrome of uh, symptoms, along with perhaps eye infections as well. So these are symptoms along with coughs and colds oh. that uh, the coronavirus seems to be presenting across the country. So let me bring Alan in, what, what are you seeing at, at the Warrens? Do we? Okay, that's it. I think I'm quite proud of myself. I think I know the difference now between um, self-isolation and social distancing, which actually it's it's subtle. Yep. So the first thing, if you have the illness, so primarily we're saying it's a cough and it's not under temperature or a temperature. So anything that uh, could be the early herald of, uh, of a flu, then you self-isolate and so does the rest of your family. So everybody in that household, self-isolation is an absolute thing. So the door is closed and you have no contact at all. Um, the person who's ill for a week, everybody else for two weeks. Well, why is that? Because they have to allow another week for them to develop uh, the illness themselves. If they develop the illness, then I presume the two weeks starts again for everybody else. So self-isolation, nobody goes through that door social distancing is a lot more subtle um, so it asks the question well is, is whatever you're going to do is it really essential so my mother's 90 with a heart condition at the moment she's thinking three months without a hairdo that's essential yeah. um, we will be continuing that debate in the future uh, but it's being ramped up so speaking to a young man at the checkout uh, earlier on what's he doing for the weekend he intends to go out to the pub and meet up with his mates, the penny hasn't dropped yeah. um, because he's he's young, he's fit, he's maybe a teenager. Is he going to die? Chances are no, of course he's not. And for him, it may well just be a nasty dose of flu. Yeah. But I wonder whether he'll learn the lesson when he is not allowed to attend his grandmother's funeral and just begins to think, well, what part did I play in this? Yeah, mm -hmm. well, I think he's about to... Uh go to the pub and find it's closed when he gets however but on that line that's the questions we've had in or along those lines and it is I suppose slightly confusing um, what exactly is self-isolation does it mean utterly cut off from all humanity or can perfectly healthy grandparents children and grandchildren get together on Mother's Day no mm. so self-isolation that's it the door is closed nobody comes in nobody goes out you know, shopping is left on the doorstep and when yeah. they've gone, you can open the door and but get it. But you'd be self-isolating if you had symptoms. If you are ill. So if you've got the virus right. or somebody in your household has, that's it and it's absolute. So if you are perhaps over 70 yep. and you were just socially excluding, S social distancing. distancing, sorry, so you could then have the grandkids over now, Mother's Day. Now it begins to be a, a, a judgment. Mm -hmm. So is that a risky thing? Um, yes, it is. And you would have to say it's essential. 
Um, so I will not be visiting my mother. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's my choice. Just, right, an example. I've retired from the partnership and t- tonight was to be my retirement party. And we've cancelled it. Oh. Because it would be maybe a dozen GPs all coming together yeah. in one room. And then if one of us goes down, so just totally irresponsible. Mm. Um, so I think I'm, I'm taking it seriously. I went out today for a, a ride on my bike on my own, two meters away from everybody else. Now at the moment, that's allowable. You could go for a walk again, so long as you keep away from everybody else. Um, but if this is a, an ongoing program, that even that small uh, exposure in the future may be decided we can't even do that. So it's whatever we say today it could be different okay. in weeks. So, so to make it just clear, those who should self-isolate are those who have symptoms or are in a high risk. Yeah, they, they've no, they've no. got the virus or they've got could the virus do. or could uh, have it. We're right. not doing testing, so the assumption is if you've got the symptoms, you've got the bug, and you, you deal with it accordingly. Social distancing, now there's a, there is a, a difference there. So if you are over 70 or you're under 70 and you've got a significant illness, then you should be taking these the advice on social distancing ext- to the extreme, really seriously. Yeah. If, if you're a teenager, it's true you might get away with it. But then again, do you really want to be responsible for, for spreading the bug? Hmm. A couple of things, if I may. Um, First of all, uh, there is social distancing uh, and then social isolation, but also social responsibility. So um, so social distancing is important and there's talk about two meters and staying away from uh, and, and not being too many in a, in a, in a, in a room, for example, so in a, in, a, in a waiting room in a surgery. We're trying to avoid having more than 10 people uh, in the waiting room. Um, and uh, trying to sort of stage the appointments if we can so so they're not more than four or five perhaps uh, and that's important so um, pregnant mums there's also talk about uh, social isolation for them for 12 weeks um, and that sort of then puts uh, uh, into issue uh, antenatal care and where that should be provided and so, so on and so forth so that's important um, uh, whilst we're talking about this, I think immunizations and uh, for children is very important and mustn't sort of uh, lose sight of that. Um, uh, so uh, the, the, the other issue that we perhaps should sort of focus on is this uh, social responsibility um, that we have as a community and as a profession of uh, clinicians um, uh, to, to our communities but also to our patients. Um, and so, um, Alan, I mean, you, you were interested in talking about repeat prescriptions and whether they should be monthly or two monthly or perhaps even three monthly because we've certainly seen a, a sudden rush on repeat prescription requests, which seem to be more than the standard one month that we are uh, supposed to be doing. Yes. Um, people would like to say, well, can I just have a month in hand in case? Now, the answer is simple. Uh, the chemist has enough drugs for everybody for April. They haven't got enough for everybody for April and May. Mm. So everybody comes in and says, well, I want May's as well now. They haven't got it. And everybody who does that, then there's going to be somebody coming back in April who can't get that month's medicine because 
a bit like the supermarkets, they've cleared the shelves. So at the moment, if you're being told, no, you can only have one month, then it's it's good advice. And we're trying to get our, our folk to follow that. Um, yeah, because I mean, it's, it's a logical enough thought process to think, well, I'll just get a prescription for another month and if I fall ill, I won't run out, I've got them all in. But you're quite right. If enough people do that, then all that means is that someone's going to fall short. Isn't it? mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a it's a very risky thing to do, and people just need to sort of stay calm. And I think the system will work for you, won't it? The, 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 the NHS is a wonderful thing that can that can cope with so many various circumstances being thrown at it. Mm. I mean, one of the other things is around paracetamol prescribing. So patients seem to be finding it difficult to get some paracetamol. So I went into our pharmacy in my surgery and said, do you have enough paracetamol? And they've got stacks of paracetamol. So when a patient's ringing up saying, can I have a prescription of paracetamol? I'm saying, look, there's enough. You can buy it over the counter. There's no shortage. But there seems to be a shortage in, in supermarkets. And that's that's another issue I think that we should talk about, uh, uh, you know, under the heading of socialized uh, of responsibility in that, you know, there's not enough bread and milk left and 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 food uh, especially for the for the elderly and the most vulnerable in our society and i think we all have a responsibility uh, to our elderly neighbors our elderly patients our um, our relatives who may be elderly as well and how we can support them and just keep an eye on them and uh, and and be mindful uh, and considerate to their needs and uh, perhaps even just check and see if they need anything and if we can get something. So Alan, yeah, you and I both uh, know about Age UK. Well, just on, on that, just to, you, know, you hear, heard it here first, the cows are still producing milk, <laughs> bless them. The, oh. the hens are still laying eggs, so you don't need to have six weeks worth of eggs in they're still going to be arriving at a steady rate at your supermarket the silliness is people going in and buying a month's worth now when mm. they don't really need it um, and the empty shelves are we saw shops exactly. in, in, in Italy where they haven't got empty shelves because people have they're over that silliness yes and yes. they're now just saying well what do yeah. I need and the, the trees are still growing the yeah. paper manufacturers are still making pulp and toilet rolls are still being <laughs> produced by the plenty so um, can, can I just um, say a few words about uh, UK and their sort of efforts to volunteer um, Alan's also aware of this and that uh, they're providing the service which is Monday to Friday for volunteers uh, to, to participate in that they will come and help uh, patients who are or people vulnerable uh, in the community so Alan would you like to tell us more about it? Yes we're, uh, we have a patient participation group and these are folk who help us uh, lay people and uh, two weeks ago we said well there is going to be an issue there are going to be a lot of elderly folk who can't get the shopping in. What are we going to do? So they sent out to all our um, patients to say, are there any volunteers out there? Now, we didn't know what was going to happen with the volunteers. Uh, we just said, give us your details, your contact, and we will let you know when something's set up. And on the Wirral, it's Age UK Wirral who are going to be coordinating this. And if you want to be a volunteer, you go onto their website, you go down a bit and it, there's a, a button you click for emergency volunteers. You fill in a form and they will t- then take the details. 
what they're expecting people to do, so maybe just before you fill the form out, what's going to be asked of you, um, you will be asked to go and do the shopping for the elderly person. You'll pay for it. You will deliver it on the doorstep. So this is these are essentially older people who are self-isolating. So they're stuck in, they can't get out. Um, you can take a picture of the bill. You send that to Age UK and they will reimburse you. Now, the advantage of that is there's no money changing hands, so no, no risk of virus, but also there's no um, risk of elderly people being vulnerable and being taken advantage of. Mm. So Age UK are going to sort out the finances of it. If you want it quickly, it goes through PayPal. If you don't mind waiting a few days, it goes through the bank. But they are dealing with the money side of it. The volunteer goes, buys the food, delivers it, and then gets paid back later. And that sounds really good. So it? the mm. more people do that, the better. I mean, also informally, if you know some of your elderly neighbours, have you been around and just said, by the way, if, if you need a helping hand, do this. Um, so I think that done informally is important. Uh, but Age UK are going to be the coordinators yeah. for the work. I mean, we'll put on, with all the social media, we'll put these details on. And I would ask people to just, you know, share the page, share the podcast, because... Uh, you know, we set this up just to be a news and a debating forum. But as this has come forward, I think it's really, really useful to have this conversation. I mean, what I'm saying to people is, imagine if you could sit down in front of your GP now, what would you ask him? What would you want to hear? And that's what we're getting, I think, from this podcast there. I, th- I think it's really useful. I hope so anyway. But we'll, we'll anything like that, we'll, we'll put on the, um, on the social media pages where people can access it. It sounds... Fabulous. Mark's here listening. Mark is the engineer of the, the, the podcast, but he's highly exercised in um, in, in this, this subject because uh, everyone's got an opinion, everyone wants to, wants to talk about it. So what did you want to ask, Mark? You had a couple of questions, I think. Well, if we could take you back to the social responsibility aspect of it, um, actually today alone I've come across a few people who have a scepticism about this virus and the potential of catching it, uh, the potential effects that that might have. Um, I've had people saying it's no worse than the likes of SARS and it's no worse than the flu. Uh, It's it's not that big a deal. Uh, The news are just blowing it up, sensationalizing it. Um, I guess what I'm hoping you guys might be able to do is dispel some of those myths my experience out on the streets today has been there are very few people who seem to be taking this perhaps as seriously as is being suggested in the news by the the medical experts and the government and trying to boil it down it's trying to get past that media sensationalized reputation that they have to ultimately try and get down to the facts to because if they are ultimately wandering around oblivious or being deliberately ignorant of the realities then surely they're creating as big a risk as anyone yeah because they hear conspiracy theories and all sorts of things well yeah I, I could get a bit cross in this area um, okay it is a, a nasty flu so most of us if we've had the flu we think well I don't want to get that again but we've all survived there is a difference here that this is significantly worse. You do not hear about healthy medics, nurses and doctors dying of influenza. This is killing our colleagues. Mm. 
And if you're going out on Saturday night to have a party with your friend, and as a result of that, some of my colleagues are going to end up dead because you've passed that virus on, I could be really quite annoyed about it. Um, you need to listen to what's going on and... I don't know. I just uh, there well, are some savage think, people. In why? There. Why is this? I get. I guess that, let's be more specific because these these people. I'm, I like you got into quite a heated debate about this, um, but don't have the medical background knowledge that you guys have. Um, what is, for example, the difference between the likes of the SARS and the bird flu epidemics that occurred, which is different from this? Why? Why? Why are they wrong in their belief? So this is a very different virus, although it comes from the same family, but as I said last time, this has jumped from bats into humans and we've got no previous experience of it. But also what we are very much aware of is that, especially in the elderly, so over 70, um, the, the rate of this turning into a nasty pneumonia or chest infection leading to problems with breathing are infinitely more than our previous experience. So, um, so for example, till yesterday or day before, in in uh, Italy, I think there were about five or six hundred deaths. Uh, we are three or four weeks behind Italy, and we have one hundred and forty-four deaths. And so, we haven't even reached the start of the peak that everybody's talking about. We are four, four weeks away from a potential peak, uh, which could be one of uh, one of a long peak or one of many peaks that we may have over the next 24 weeks. And it's important to recognize that only a week and a half ago, we were talking about 110 cases, and now we have in excess of 3,200 cases. We, we had less or around 10 deaths then, and we have 144 unfortunate, uh, you know, Friends, colleagues, um, uh, people that uh, in in the UK who passed away because of this, and it's dangerous. There are eight people in the Wirral who've had it, and the number will rise. So there, there's one thing very clear. You know, this is a pandemic. This is not an ordinary flu. This is across the world. It's affecting businesses. It's affecting people's lives personally, as well as their children. Um, and that is the reason, very rightly, the government is taking precautions and measures which may feel to some as uh, over the top but are actually realistic and measured and taken on scientific advice from, from, uh, from uh, people who are very well respected across the country but across the world as well. So this is all to stop us ending up in a catastrophe, in a, in a situation where, you know, we have more deaths. We're trying to avoid that. There's no point talking about um, this if we weren't worried about it. So there is a general um, understanding amongst the clinicians and scientists in this country that this is dangerous, that we must safeguard against it and we have to do that for our for our children for our families and can i just our communities. i'll let mark come back in a second but in terms of you say the peak yes you're talking in terms of a, a time peak there will be a time when it will peak there's not an absolute number which you're expecting to hit and then it will come down we're talking about that's why you said it could be multiple peaks yeah so when you say peak, you mean the top of the curve for The now. top of the curve, yes. So we're hoping to delay the top of the curve as long as we can, because that would be the, the best uh, result for us. So if we have a really high peak, 
that would sort of be uh, disastrous for us in, in, in numbers and deaths and mortality. So we want to reduce that as much as we can. And I suppose if you want to, the, those teenagers or those young people who are saying that, uh, for, it's, it's true. They're almost certainly they will not die of it. If you look at the figures in China, I could only find one teenage death. So if, if you want to be completely selfish about it as a teenager and say, it's not going to kill me, you're right. It's going to kill your grandmother. It's not you. But then when you're not allowed to attend her funeral, then hopefully you will pause and think, ah, I helped towards that. And one of, one of the other justifications that has been given is the low percentage chance that they have of contracting it. You said before that there's only eight confirmed cases on the world and there are obviously tens if not hundreds of thousands of people in the region so that's a pretty low chance but before we went on air Dr Johnson you said something quite profound about the lack of testing which probably warps those figures quite substantially. Yeah um, I don't know the, the detailed reasons for it but we're not testing at the moment and there is far more around than we're aware of and even if you don't get it soon, you're going to get it later. Mm. It does seem to be a very infectious disease. Um, so the chances are we're all going to get it eventually. The problem is if we all get it in the next couple of months, then the intensive care beds at Arrow Park cannot cope. Um, interesting, they've actually published the numbers of intensive care beds that there are in the various regions. So London, that's the place to get it because they've got a lot of intensive care beds. We have comparatively few. We are going to get swamped an awful lot easier than the, the capital is. So again, it's just, you think, for the folk on the Wirral, we haven't got many intensive care beds. And so that, that's a good point, Alan, you make, because nationally the government is trying to get 30,000 beds, high dependency unit beds, across, across the UK. Uh, and they're looking for 12,000 ventilators. Um, the problem with all this is you need to have medical staff who are trained to actually deal with the ventilator and be able to support these patients in, in, in a high dependency unit. So uh, f with that in mind, all routine surgeries across England and the UK has been cancelled to just make sure that we have enough space and resources and doctors who are not even uh, who, who don't work in intensive care are being trained and told that they might have to look after patients. So the government has gone through quite a lot of detail, uh, quite a lot of granular detail um, in, in sorting out how things will uh, come into play when, when, they, when they need them. And that's, that's quite important because the, they, the, there's a lot of planning that's already been done around what happens if, say for example, uh, God forbid, the number goes from 3,200 to 6,000 or possibly 10,000, you know, and how are we going to cope, not just in general practice, but in acute hospitals, in the community, um, it could be devastating. So this is a really serious problem um, and it, it could be catastrophic. Uh, and I'm not trying to sort of panic anyone. I think the important thing to recognize here is that um, the government is taking good, sound advice from its scientific advisors. There are uh, measures and policies in place that can support uh, us in, in, in a way that we, are all, we can all be safe and, 
and we just need to uh, follow the guidance that comes out from the Department of Health, from the government, uh, from the Chief Medical Officer regularly um, and listen to, to what that advice is. Yeah, it seems to me the government's take is to delay takeoff as long as possible yeah. so basically the, it's taxiing for as long as possible before it, it, it hits the air mm. and then when it does hit the air hopefully we've got better preparations. Are you both content with the government's take on this? Yeah. Do, you, do you think we've got the right um, the right angle on it? I, th I think it's right. You say, if on the world heading our way, I'm making up the numbers, say there's 500 people who are going to end up in intensive care. If that can be spread over six months, we'll cope. If it happens in the next two months, it'll be catastrophic. Mm. So the teenagers who can't go out partying are helping the process of spreading it out over the, the six-month yeah. period that we, we will be able to cope with. So it's as simple as that, isn't yeah. it? It's mm. as simple as there is going to be those emergency cases. We can't cope with them all at once. Let's just do what all we can all do to, to spread it out over months rather than weeks. And as somebody said, we're in this together. We all have a part to play, and it's very important that we help each other because we can survive this if, as a community, we help each other and support each other and be strong. Uh, we mentioned about the fact we're behind, say, London by three weeks. What does that mean? Does it mean there's an inevitability that we will end up with their figures? And I guess the answer is yes. Um, and, and who knows, we might not be two weeks behind. But we don't have the, the actual figures of who's got it to be able to say that with any authority. But just the gut feeling is that we're, we are a little bit behind them. Um, but it's coming this way. Mm. Nothing's going to stop it. it, it you know, it's... it's it's a bit like the plague spreading across the country. It's coming this way. And Alan's very right, because uh, in London, the population is higher. Undergrounds are being used now. <laughs> Some of them have been shut. More restaurants, more pubs, uh, more people congregating together, whereas in the Wirral, perhaps, it's not as, as populous as, as, uh, as London. So, so obviously, the, the rate of coronavirus or COVID-19 COVID is higher in London, therefore, the potential spread is also higher um, and invariably uh, as, as this virus takes root uh, it's going to come come our way so we just need to be careful social isolation is a must social distancing is a must but we mustn't forget our responsibilities socially to our neighbors and our our community but again some of the practicalities come in um, we're not locked down at the moment most people have to go to work so if I had to choose between going on a bus or going across on the old Birkenhead ferry, I'd choose the ferry every time because you can go on the top yeah. deck and be two metres apart. Um, so it's just all the, the details of our lives. You're trying to think, now what can I do to reduce the risk of me getting it or of me passing it on? Um, and you work through the details of your own life. Yeah, I think that's that's crucial, isn't it? When I was... Um um, on site this week over in Crosby. The minute I walked in the door, um, it was an, an, say an elderly couple who weren't particularly old, but the um, the lady in the house got her alcohol gel out and said, put your hands out there. And I'm, I'm fine with that, you know, as much as you want to give me, I'll, I'll take. But that's just a sensible precaution, isn't it? Mm. And just to say, washing hands mm. is even better. Um, that there's a, the, the makeup of the virus is such that if you wash it 
wash your hands with soapy water and then rinse them. That's the best way of getting rid of it. Um, there's a certain percentage of alcohol. I meant to read the page before I said, but th there are other things like chlorhexidine don't work as well. So if you pour 60% alcohol gel on your hands, immediately the alcohol starts evaporating off. Mm -hmm. So what's really good, wash your hands. As far as I know, there's still plenty of soap in Tesco. <laughs> and the, the other thing is about working, working from home. So if you, if you don't need to go into work and if you can work from home, that's helpful. It stops the spread, it protects your families, it protects you. Uh, so just take general common sense advice and, uh, and, and stick to yeah, that. I think most large employers are, um, are, are putting that in place now. And I know, I know my mm -hmm. wife is now working from home. I know the council, um, basically anybody that they can get to work from home is now working from home and putting in the appropriate resources. Um, the council's a little bit fortunate because we all have these little laptop things. Um, but, but basically the technology is there mm. that we can work from home quite quite adequately, can't we? Um, in, in shops, so um, I've, I've, my other half has a shop which largely is closed, but she's had to open for a short period of one day a week to allow people to pick up certain things. Um, when is it in terms of the passing of the virus? Um, obviously, washing hands is important, but is it is it the germs on your hand that you might then put in your mouth that then get into your system? Is that the risk? Because I guess the question is, how long do these germs say resonate on items in a shop? So if someone's picked it up, put it down. You then pick it up, put it down perfectly innocently, and long behold, then put your hands in your mouth without realizing. How long do those germs sort of hang around? What what several days right and so yes if you've touched something when you come home before you eat you wash your hands um but I've, i'm appalled at how often because i've been observing myself how often i've touched my face yeah. or i fiddle with my beard and then you think ah right so um one of the routines we have to do now is before any patient comes in we wash our hands why because actually we could be contagious. So you've got those four or five days before you're ill where you could be shedding virus. So I've got chapped hands because I'm washing my hands so often that the patients aren't allowed to touch my door handle. I, I open that using my uh, towel. So washing hands, just keep doing it. Um, wash your hands before you eat. You don't know what you've been touching. You're about to put whatever's on your hands, virus or bacteria into your mouth wash your hands first and is that sort of the, the, the it, i was thought it was like mucous membranes the way you you contracted it so can you actually from food get it it's it um, you're, you're right that the main source of uh, is in in mucus and in your mouth and what have you but it's how does it get out from there so if you see our emergency packs it's embarrassing we've got a tiny little face mask a, a plastic apron that's a cut-up bin bag that very effectively covers my tie and we've got a pair of gloves and it's embarrassing mm. what's that going to stop well if somebody coughs in your face it does so it's quite a limited um, so people who are walking around wearing face masks they're not really doing themselves yeah. any favors whatsoever um, so how are we going to pass it on most effectively it's because we accidentally touch our face 
it's on our fingers, we touch something else or touch another person's hands. So before you eat, you wash your hands and get rid of all the bugs. If you sneeze into your sleeve because you don't have a tissue, should you really be taking that item of clothing off straight away and throwing it in the wash or is that overkill? It's not a bad idea. It's a good um, idea. High, high temperature wash. <laughs> I don't know which setting that is. <laughs> well, I, I did the same. My daughter said to me yesterday, where's the towels gone from the bathroom? I said, I put them in the wash. I said, I'm tumble drying them. I only washed them yesterday. I said, I don't care, it's a new regime. Hmm. And I, my take is that the heat that comes on that tumble dryer will kill anything. You know, so I, mean, I don't know if you're going over the top. I find myself going around the house thinking, oh, I've touched that now. I'll wash my hands. Oh, hang on a minute. I've touched that now. I'll need to wash my hands. And you can spend your day washing your hands, but it's just a matter of mitigation, isn't it? Yes. Of, of lowering the chances. And apparently, it's the things. soap that destroys the capsule of, of the virus. So that's you're okay. killing it with soap. It's okay. very susceptible to soap. Well, I mean, this is back to O level in my case, GCSE in your case, but <laughs> you know, biology, you know, bacteria and viruses, they are different. What is the difference between them again? Because, to be honest, I've forgotten. <laughs> a virus is a very, very simple little organism that has one thing in life to reproduce itself. It does nothing else. And it hasn't got the wherewithal to do it. So it has to get inside one of your cells, take over your mechanism so that it can replicate itself. And then when it's killed a cell, that's the end of it. But it's made enough so that they can go off and do the same elsewhere. It's completely... It's mad. Yeah, <laughs> What's yeah. the point of having a virus? But you said there's a capsule. So there's <laughs> right, obviously so there, a, a, there are two, a, a, two different cell structures. So, so yeah. some of them, are, it's sort of their bearer. Um, okay. And th this particular coronavirus is RNA and it's, it's got a capsule on the outside and, and it's relatively easy to kill with soap. Hmm. Is it true, because this is a question somebody asked me to ask, um, if people drink lots of water, they say that if the virus is in the throat, it goes into the stomach and is killed by the acid in the stomach. Is that another myth? I think it's a myth. You must have heard them all. No, yes, there's a lot of rubbish out there. Um, Hot drinks, they said that one. No. I think that was another one they used. No. No. Anymore. Wash your hands. So, wash your mouth with soap. So, uh, I, I guess <laughs> what I'm saying, once it's in your mouth, you, you kind of... You, you're done for in terms of preventing contracting the virus once it's in there you've got it it's too late it's the preventing it from getting in in the first place that's yeah. the only way to stop it slightly nuanced in that there are some folk whose immune system is not good so my dad's 96 he's not allowed out of hospital yet he went in last weekend his immune system's poor so if he gets the virus he's not going to do well um, so, yes, you're right that then it's up to our own immune system to, to have a go, but some will deal with it better than others. And the children, this, I mean, this is the wonderful thing about it, is the children seem to be fighting it off really well. Mm. This would be a complete nightmare if it's like some other viruses where there's a, a U-shaped curve and all the t tiny tots were dying. Um, providence is that this... Mm virus is different and our children seem to do really well with so it. So there's a bright side in a way. Yes, I think absolutely. It could be a lot worse. It would be a, a, a horrendous. Now life has been made just a little bit more complicated because schools have shut today. 
kids are going to be at home they are going to be crawling up the walls uh, removing the wallpaper uh, one of the questions we had was now the kids aren't at school are they okay to meet friends if the parents are self-isolating if the parents are self-isolating absolutely not so everybody who in that household who's been exposed to the virus they are grounded full stop i suppose bearing in mind they might not have understood the definitions we've used yep. earlier so let's let's put that same question in context for the social uh, distancing social distancing is more nuanced and again i don't think there's a right answer there um is it okay to take your kids for a, a walk along the prom um i think so at the moment uh, so long as you keep two meters away from everybody else well i suppose it would be the social distancing Yes, you could let the kids um, go and play with their friends. But if you yourself, if you were 40, but you'd had a heart attack or something, that then would be a bad idea because for you to get that, this, this virus is going to be serious. Now, even the children playing with their friends is a potential mm -hmm. uh, source of crossing, uh, cross infection. So even that, there is, it's wary. Mm -hmm. So if, if you really must, so my granddaughter her birthday party is going to be cancelled i hope she doesn't hear this she doesn't know yet <laughs> we're working our way towards alert, teacher. <laughs> just saying that it's not it, it we, we might have to cancel it but the truth is it's being cancelled serious times in there uh, another question um somebody has asked is if i get the virus and have come out the other end of it am i now immune from catching it again that's an interesting question we don't really know the answer to. Um, obviously uh, whoever's got it will have some antibodies against it and therefore will have some immunity against it. Uh, but we, we don't have the evidence of what the reinfection rate is. Um, so the possibility is that, well let's hope and pray they don't get it again, uh, they, they will have some immunity in the system uh, which they will have developed if they've had uh, the virus. Um, and so the possibility of them getting second time would be rarer or less than the average in the population. But it all depends really if they have, uh, the, the, they're immunocompromised or if they have any other comorbidities that we've talked about previously. So if they are diabetics, if they have any heart or lung condition, if they have any autoimmune condition um, or any condition that sort of brings their immunity down. Then that then the, the scenario changes. But as a general thumb uh, rule of thumb, um, if they've had an infection once, the likelihood of them getting an infection again is rare. It's it's a good question. Ask us again in a year's time. <laughs> um, another question: If I've come back from holiday, should I always automatically self-isolate, or is that a social distancing? I think the official answer at the moment is social distancing. So um, there was a time when it was isolation and that, that was in the early stages when it was trying to be contained. We, we went past that, so it's too late. Um, but social distancing, please, 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 because there was a doctor in Liverpool who came back from Italy <laughs> and uh, spread it around an awful lot of other, well, potentially 
spread it around a lot of other medics. Another one is, uh, is it true that there's a, a rescue pack that you can get from your GP if you're suffering from the likes of COPD or asthma? That, that's a good question, you know, because um, we've had a sudden surge of people wanting their rescue packs um, and some of them are, are not even asthmatics and have only used uh, a rescue pack and by rescue pack you mean uh, inhalers and antibiotics and possibly steroids uh, but steroids and antibiotics in particular um, so we need to be careful because sometimes the pharmacists are in particular asking patients to go and ask for a rescue pack so steroids are, are quite a potentially dangerous drug to have and are used in, in if used in the right sort of scenario and circumstance can be life-saving similarly antibiotics are, are something that we should use only if there is a possible infection um, and if you have severe or asthma or COPD uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease uh, then it's understandable that if you run out of your rescue pack that you possibly need it but people have not used an uh, inhaler for three or four years just asking for an inhaler perhaps is not appropriate. So you're talking about people with asthma who maybe use daily steroids or? But these are the folk, they, they already know it. So they've either damaged the lungs with smoking or they're asthmatic. Um, they're well known to us and they know that if they have a bad flare up, they know what to do about it. This is nothing to do with coronavirus because obviously that, that is ineffective. Um, but if you've got a bad chest, uh, you need to have your rescue pack in. Why? Because at the moment we don't want you anywhere near the surgery. If you come with a cough, the chances are it's just your routine run of the mill. It's one of those winter things, but we, we're not in a position to, to know that. So we can't be examining your chest the way we'd have done normally. So most of these folk, they know full well what they're supposed to do. They've got their pack in and they know the rules about when they're supposed to use it. So if you've got a perfectly healthy asthmatic who takes say a daily steroid uh, inhaler and there's nothing wrong with them at the minute if they're social distancing and not exhibiting any symptoms theoretically they don't need a rescue pack the rescue pack is more if they contract some sort of condition that might cause them breathing difficulties and affect their asthma but fundamentally it's not going to reduce the chances of contracting the virus uh, nor is it going to prevent the virus itself spot on yeah Two, two different issues. Also. I mean, it's quite, quite We're interesting. We're clearing up some myths, aren't we? Well, absolutely. I mean, I mean, are your surgeries busier than normal? Are people staying away? Should people stay away? At what point, what conditions should we perhaps go and make a GP appointment for? So that's a very important question to ask because um, the advice uh, from Chris Vitti, the Chief uh, Medical Officer, is please do not go to your surgery and that's what we are saying to patients. So we've uh, turned uh, overnight from seeing our patients to just having telephone triage. Um, so when my patients ring me uh, or my surgery, the, the telephone call is triaged first by the receptionist and then by me. Uh, and what we're trying to do is avoid patients coming to surgery um, because it can obviously spread the infection and also exposes the people working the surgery, i.e. the receptionists, the nurses, the doctors um, and, and others uh, in, in, in the building. 
Um, so um, the the advice uh, from Chris Vitti is that you know you should um, uh, ring one one one. Don't ring the surgery, and one 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 can then direct you as to what to do. If you have symptoms of cough and cold, as we talked about earlier, then you should isolate for one week. Um, and the reason we talk about one week is because the incubation period, the time for this virus to actually uh, come out and, uh, and and show its full colours, is about a week. And then we talk about two weeks. So if you have a relative or family member. Um, living with you, uh, then they need to self-isolate for two weeks, basically because around the incubation period and yeah. when they catch it, so giving them another week around it gives them uh, some Wait, some and, and there is safety. confusion. I mean, I had lunch um, last Wednesday with a guy who has since been self-isolating with his kids because they all became rather poorly. They don't know whether it's coronavirus or not, and they're all okay. But there's, um, they're all, you know, locked down in the house for now. And I tell people this, and they say, "Well, you've got to, you can't go out. You can't." I said, "Well, all I did was share a table with them, you know, like we're sharing now." I said, "You know, so you're you're right. You're right. Thanks. So thanks for that. <laughs> Unless you become ill, and then it all yeah. changes. Now we could be a lot clearer on this if everybody had a test, mm-hmm. but there isn't the resource at the moment, so." That's, these are the rules for now. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've had some of this quarter of a million tests coming forward, or there's going to be for antibody tests that the government have promised. Um, so they're coming soon. Um, it's just the resource and the the issue around the supply and manufacture of them. Um, and it would be helpful because some of our colleagues in our profession would like to be tested uh, to ensure that they are safe. Um, um, Alan's touch on the PPE, which is the, which is the gowns and the masks and the and the gloves that are available, which, uh, some of us believe not to be adequate protection. So uh, it, it is a difficult situation, but I suppose we're all in it together, and the the only way we can get out of it is by uh, adhering and listening to the professional advice that's been given uh, from the government, but also from from your own GPs and doctors locally um, and if we, if we adhere to that then the, the possibility is that the curve as we keep talking about uh, will not be as acute but more flattened um, and we can survive this. Another thing is 111, how well resourced are they? They're having a hard time of it of and so uh, one of our doctors today had three people that all three had waited for over two hours waiting for 111 to answer and then rang up very, very cross and irate to say, what do I do? And the answer from us is, you contact 111. Why? Because we are not equipped. If you've got coronavirus, we haven't got the protection to be able to examine people. Um, That is set up separately and it's not your GP who'll do it. So we we can't have people coming down to the surgery. We can't even go out to examine people for suspected coronavirus. Now, that may change in the near future if it becomes overwhelming. But for now, you have to go through 111. And my sympathy is with you if you're waiting three hours before they finally speak to you. Um, that is annoying, but that's where we're up to at the moment. Again, if it goes back to what I was saying before about the symptoms, the symptoms are quite well defined. So, so don't phone up 
frivolously because yes. you, you've got well even if you right so if you were ill with a high temperature but you're not desperately ill what do you do you self-isolate mm -hmm. you don't and take your paracetamol if you've got it you don't even need to contact 111 if you're not sure then go on the website and work your way through the, the questionnaire and what's the website's address it's a uh, it's the national website for 111 so it would be www.nhs.com I'm sure we'll put that out we, we, we can put we'll it stick in, in the notes yeah <laughs> apologies to spring that on you like that <laughs> People are worried about the NHS and, and it being over overstretched. Is that the case now, or and and so it's already bursting at the seams and part and parcel of this social uh, distancing and self isolation is to try and give it a bit of a breather so that the people who really do need it are able to be. Unhelp treated. Unhelpfully, we're both sitting here nodding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a podcast. Uh, the answer is that. yes. <laughs> the thing is, the rest of medicine's still going on. So how's it been this week, you, you said? It's, it was a catastrophe. Monday and Tuesday, um, we had very, very long sessions of just constantly answering the phone. But I think in a week or two's time, we'll be over the worst of that. The, the other side of it is, though, that some general medicine's going to be neglected. Mm because of this has taken over so um that's that's it, that's it, it, it down the line any, yes. it can't be another way can yes. it it's and you mentioned ppe before so the personal protective equipment for people who aren't all into abbreviations um for those people who can't help having to go to work so a good example might be people in the supermarket who work there is there anything they could or should be doing? Is there any equipment they can wear to reduce the risk? Or is it just quite literally the hand washing that's, that's your only and, and keeping the two metres distance? I, th I think you've nailed it there because uh, uh, the answer is very simple. And this has been the advice from day one. And it's based on scientific evidence, which is that, you know, wash your hands for two minutes to the tune of happy birthday twice. Um, and uh, and you know don't touch your face and um, and eyes and uh, and uh, with your hands when you're doing it. Um, so so that that is basically it. And and the other thing to do is social distancing, two meters. That's important. So just be conscious of social distancing. Wash your hands regularly. Uh, be aware of uh, of any symptoms. Um, and stay at home if possible. I think it's a really good message actually what Alice said before about soap. S soap just, yeah. this virus, it just kills this virus. Yeah. And really how easy is that? Yeah. If you have any questions at all um, that you would like us to pass on, I presume you're okay if, if they send some comments on, on our social media and we can always pass them on and see. Uh, hopefully we've been quite comprehensive there and the website's given a lot of information. Or oh, we could come and do another podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I, I can see us doing this quite regularly. To be um, It'd be like every day we can support <laughs> well, Boris. Every, every week, because it will. I think it'll change week from week. Yeah, it, it will, yeah. It will. And this will be something useful to do. Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think this is useful. I hope the listeners find it useful. Um, the last one was quite short. This one's been quite a bit, bit longer. Um, but I think the message of just helping your neighbours, looking out for each other, doing the right thing by yourself, your family, society, is, is the crucial, crucial message, isn't yeah. it? And a whole Absolutely. range of things. So. 
So thank you, dear listener, for sticking with us, and um, see you next time around. Check out all our shows exclusively on thepodstation.co.uk. Support the station by visiting patreon.com forward slash thepodstation.co.uk.